And then we could have even more kids. So it'll never get easy. 1 Corinthians 12. Talking about spiritual gifts. You know you are happiest when you are operating in giftedness. So if you have a gift for teaching children, again, do it. Uh, and, be, and, if, and by the way, if you think you can't teach children because you don't know the Bible well enough, there is no better way I know of to learn the Bible than to have to teach it to children. That'll teach you the Bible. Because you really don't understand something until you can explain it to a five-year-old. And if you can explain it to a five-year-old, then you got it. So that'll, that'll get you there. All right, turn to somebody next to you and say, I think the Lord's calling me to that. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. We talked about that. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing. Or actually, a more literal translation would be gifts of healings by the one Spirit. And to another, the workings of miracles. Uh, those are all plural. Uh, or or a, a more literal translation of that would be the workings of power. To another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And God, may the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts, be acceptable, O Lord, in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning we're going to talk about faith and healing, and we might get into power and miracles. Uh, so, uh, anybody feel like uh, faith and healing this morning? There you go. We'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. Maybe you'll just both dance out of here this morning. So, uh, I want to talk about what faith is, what faith isn't. Um, and uh, there's a lot of confusion about faith. And we, in our Western culture, we put our faith in techniques. We put our faith, we like to put our faith in... Um, in how-to. We're a, we're a, we're a how-to kind of people. And so, uh, and so that kind of gets translated sometimes over our, to our Christianity. And sometimes we put faith in faith. Sometimes we put faith in a method. But faith really is faith in a person. It is faith in a person. Um, when you were a child and, uh, and you had a nightmare... Um, if you were like me, you would jump out of bed because you didn't know if the creature of that nightmare was under your bed, so you'd try to get enough distance between you and your bed so they couldn't reach out and grab you, right? And I used to have these witch nightmares, and I was pretty sure the witch was hiding um, behind the bathroom door and going to jump out at me. And so I would just go down the hall, and I would get to my parents' bed, and, and, uh, and when I got into my parents' room, all of a sudden it was okay. It was okay. Because I had faith in my parents' ability to protect me from that witch. And if I cuddled up in between them and went to sleep, my mother would, uh, you know, comfort me and my dad would say some prayers. At least he would use the name of the Lord. Uh, I, think he was, I think he was praying. And, uh, and, it was, and, it would be, and then I would fall asleep and it would be okay. Faith is faith in a person. Not a technique, not in a name it and claim it kind of thing. Um, 
it's, a, it's, it's faith in the goodness of God. It's faith in the power of God. It's faith in the plan of God. It's faith in the love of God. And so we put our faith in God manifest among us, Jesus Christ, his son. We put our faith in Christ. And when we put our faith in Christ, that manifests in at least three ways. First of all, it manifests as saving faith. That's what, that's what it means to be born again, to, be, to use Christian language, to be saved, to, to, uh, to, to become a Christian. It means that we have put our faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross, his life, his death, his resurrection. We believe that he is our hope, and we, and we just come to faith in him, and we ask him to come and invade our lives, and, and we, we, have a, we begin a relationship with him. And when we do that, our lives are changed, and, we, and, we, and, we, and we're, we're born spiritually into the kingdom of God. And we have saving faith, and God has laid hold of us, and Jesus teaches us that God is our Father, and the Holy Spirit comes and teaches us how to walk with Jesus. And we begin this journey that I think most of you in this room are on. And if you aren't on this journey, you can be before you leave this room today. You can put your faith in Christ today and have saving faith, and you can begin a relationship with God. And your sins will be forgiven. And if you were to die on the way home, you would go eternally to be with God. That's saving faith. Putting your faith in God's son Jesus. Not in your own works. I grew up in a, house, in a household where we were taught to be good. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with being taught to be good. I wish the world had more good people, less bad people. Mamas, teach your kids to be good. Fathers, teach your kids to behave. You'll do the rest of us a favor. But dear ones... Faith in our own goodness is not good enough. And you know that. And all you have to do to realize that is to look in the mirror and go, you know what? I've made resolutions. I've tried to be as good as I could be, and I've failed. Is that just me or is that everybody? Anybody, anybody, anybody ever quit a bad habit? Let me tell you something. Easy to quit a bad habit. Anybody can quit a bad habit. Easiest thing in the world. I know people who've quit smoking 100 times. Quitting's easy. Stay and quit. It's rough. Rough. And so, our own good works, we can't put faith in that. We put faith in what God has done for us and trust in his goodness on our behalf. And that's where the transformation begins. And then that leads to sustaining faith. That leads to the faith that carries us through the lifetime. Many of us have these mountaintop experiences of the time we got born again. Others of us, it was a gradual thing. By the way, again, when we begin to teach that there's only a certain method of getting saved, being born again, coming, we're putting faith what? In a method. I can tell you the day or the night, the early morning hours and the time when I asked Jesus Christ into my life. My wife couldn't tell you. She could tell you she was, a, she was a good, devout Catholic. She started dating me, which was her uh, bad girl rebellion. But I was a young, born-again Christian who did, wasn't really living the lifestyle. She really didn't have a relationship with Jesus, but she was living as good as she could. 
And somehow I started talking to her about a relationship with Jesus. And over time, that relationship emerged in her. And all of a sudden she realized, wow, I now know the person who was, who was behind all that goodness that I was trying to live out. And this great pressure was released from her of, you know, this burden of having to be perfect. She used to, before she took a test, she used to, like, memorize the chapter. She would try to memorize the chapter before she took a test. Talking about opposites attracting, I would walk into class and the teacher would say, there's a test today, and I would usually be surprised. Like, really? Gosh, I wasn't paying attention. (laughs) Test today. Okay, here we go. Fortunately, she got my faith and I got her ethics. It would have been a disaster if it had gone the other way. I don't care how somebody comes to Christ. I just want them to come to Christ. And we all got different stories. We all have different stories. But then begins this walk. Then begins this journey of sustaining faith. And that is the faith that endures. That's the faith that gets us through life. Because I tell you, you might have this wonderful mountaintop experience when you come to Jesus, but pretty soon you, get, you hit earth. Everybody does. I, I, I work with kids with Young Life, and we take them to camp, and camp is a great experience, and we t- teach them about Jesus, and they go to camp, and they have a great time, and they come home from camp, and they're on cloud nine, but you know what happens? They come from cloud nine, they're going back, exactly back into the same home that they came from. And nobody there had that same experience. And there are dances that have been taught in those family systems. And man, there is an incredible amount of pressure to play your part in that dance. And when you change the dance, nobody else is happy. And so you need faith. You need that same good person who met you on the mountaintop to meet you in the valley. And if you come to the Lord, as most people do, before their 18th birthday, and you live, as most people do, somewhere into their 70s or 80s, that's a long time to have sustaining faith. And there's a, and there's a whole lot of daily in there. You see, life is daily, isn't it? Jesus taught us what? To live daily. Give us this day our daily bread. And so you not only need saving faith, dear ones, you need sustaining faith or daily faith. What do we tell you? Read your Bible every day. Say your prayers every day. Not to give you another religious job. Lord knows we don't need another religious duty. But it's good to talk to Jesus on a daily basis. And it's good to hear from Jesus on a daily basis. Because life is daily. And if we don't talk to him on a daily basis, and we don't hear from him on a daily basis, what begins to happen to our sustaining faith? It begins to get weak, doesn't it? If we don't, I tell you, people, they, they stop going to church. You miss church one Sunday, you don't notice much of a difference. You miss church five or six Sundays, you might not notice much of a difference, but the people who work with you and live with you notice a difference. That light begins to dim. And that sustaining faith doesn't mean that God has left you, but you've left him. And so faith is daily, people. Yes, it's once and for all, born again, Jesus comes into your life. But then you walk with him on a daily basis. But finally then, and this is what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians, he's talking about the gift of faith. 
And that is the supernatural gift that God imparts to believe him for something that seems unbelievable or impossible. And you've probably, most people in this room have probably experienced it where all of a sudden something came on you and you knew that you knew that you knew even though it was improbable that something was going to happen. I remember the first time it happened to me. And it was a real simple thing. I was in this little church in the Alameda Valley of California and I just had started to go to this church. And I don't think this church, I think this church, I wasn't sure this church even believed in the gifts of the Spirit. They were just a good Bible church, you know, and there wasn't a lot of Holy Spirit flowing around. But the preacher was preaching that day, and as he preached, his eyes caught mine, and my eyes caught his. It's just one of those seconds, you know, like right now, you know, you see me. And we made eye contact. There you go, Jen. All right. Scary. <laughs> were you trying to smile? Oh, good. <laughs> so our eyes caught, and the minute our eyes caught, I knew that I knew that I knew he was going to call on me to close the service in prayer. He would always call on somebody in the congregation to pray. And I, I remember thinking how peculiar that was because I was pretty young and I'd only been there a little while. But our eyes caught and it just hit me. It's like, he's going to ask me to close the service in prayer. And immediately after that, the doubt started coming. No, I'm just making that up, right? I'm just making that up. But it was just this knowing. It was bizarre. I'd never had that experience. He didn't, you know, wink at me or nod or anything. Just our eyes crossed. And I knew and sure enough, when his sermon concluded, he said, I'd like to ask this young man, Kevin, if he would close us in prayer this morning. I didn't know what to call that. I know, I know what to call it now. That's the gift of faith. You might think, well, what, what's the point of that? I'll tell you the point of all of God's supernatural activities. They're signs and wonders. What did that, what did that and, and, if we, and if we focus on the miracle instead of the miracle worker, we miss the point. But what did that tell me? That told me, wow, God's alive in this little church, and he's alive in me. And that helped my sustain, that gift of faith helped my sustaining faith. Uh, a good friend of ours, um, Betsy Stowe in Oakdale, California, has had two bouts with cancer. I didn't know her much during her first bout, just casually, but during her second bout, we were friends by that time. And, uh, and as she was going through her treatment, uh, uh, we went, I went to visit her with, uh, with another friend of mine, Sean Spies, and we went to visit Betsy, and, and Betsy had been prayed for a hundred times. I'd probably prayed for her. Sean had probably prayed for her. I, I know I'd prayed for her, not in her presence, but I'd probably prayed for her in her presence. But Sean and I began to pray, and as we began to pray, it just hit both of us, she's going to be Okay. She's going to be well. It didn't hit us that she was going to be healed immediately, but it did hit us that this cancer is not going to take her life. She's going to, she's going to be fine. And we both just had this sense that, yeah, she's going to get through this. And she did. And we, we talked about it later. It's like, remember when we prayed at bed? Said, yeah. Said, we knew there was a knowing. There was a gift of faith. My favorite... Uh, Oh, uh, when you were pregnant with Noah, and you were trying to get pregnant, and we didn't know you were pregnant with Noah yet. And I remember I was praying for Megan and Ben to, to conceive and have a child. And all of a sudden, God changed my prayer, instead of asking God for a baby, to thank God for the baby. 
And I began thanking God for the baby. And then, when, and then later, when Megan said, well, we got pregnant, and, she, and I said, oh, really? I've been thanking God for When did you start thanking God for the baby? It was, it was about the exact same time that they conceived. That's the gift of faith. Uh, seek that. Because, man, it really makes praying easy. It really makes praying easy. And it's great to have the gift of faith in healing. And so I want to talk now about the gifts of healings. It's not just a gift of healing. There is a variety of healings and a variety of gifts, and I want to cover that this morning. First of all, the number one need for healing in our culture, I believe, is healing from emotional wounds. We have such advanced medical, and I'm not, talk, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna downride physical problems because they're very real, um, but we have such advanced medical technology and we live well into our 80s and you know, blah, 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 and, 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 and all that. But I tell you what, we live in, the, in, in a culture of the walking wounded. The devastation of families falling apart on, on, the, on, the, on the inside of people is huge. Fatherlessness is huge in our culture. And let me tell you something, uh, when kids don't have fathers, it leaves a void. One of the reasons I think it's so important to understand God as father is we have so many people who need a good father. And so people will come into my office, all, and, and sometimes these things are, are attached to, to physical problems as well, but a lot of times people just... They can't get by and they can't move in their lives. They seem to have the same recurring problems. And they've prayed and they've asked God for help. And, and it just seems that they're just running the same track, the same lap. And, uh, and one of the reasons why is that very early in life, through some kind of trauma, whether it's fatherlessness or some kind of, some kind of incident, the devil was able to speak lies into their lives that went into their hearts. And they, even though they believe the Bible in their head, they're still living life out of the lies in their hearts. And when they're doing that, they're stuck. And God can wonderfully remove those lies and replace them with truth. Not just in our heads, right? You can read your Bible and get all the truth in your head. You can, pa you can pass a theology test. But God wants to speak it into our hearts. And they're just lies that people live with that are, that are just stuck. Uh, here's some common ones. Parents got a divorce. You're three years old, and the devil comes and tells you what? Your fault. You were molested. You were asking for it. Your fault. Right? Lies. Lies. Your dad's an alcoholic. If he loved me, he wouldn't do that. Therefore, I'm unlovable. It's a lie. But those things go deep. Nobody will take care of me. I've got to take care of myself. You know, your parents are busy, or they're so dysfunctional that they can't do it. And the devil just sneak. Listen, the devil has no mercy on children. And he comes in and he speaks those lies. And I've seen it time and time again when people were able to recognize and renounce those lies and invite the Spirit of God to come into their lives and replace those lies with truth. 
that, that, that's, that thing is broken. And they, they, it doesn't mean they're perfect, and it doesn't mean that all their problems go away. But they can begin what? To move forward again. And they get off that same treadmill. And people need healing for their emotional wounds. Deliverance is getting rid of demons. Now, some people say Christians can't have demons. That's because of the word demon possession. And yes, if you're a Christian, you cannot be possessed by a demon. In the sense that some demon owns you. If you're a Christian, you're possessed by the Spirit of God. But in fact, the literal translation in the Bible isn't, the, the word possession isn't in the, in the Greek. It isn't in the original Bible. That was an addition in the King James Version, and most English versions have just followed that tradition of talking about a person being demon-possessed. The literal Greek is demonized, which means has a demon. If you're a Christian, you can't be possessed by a demon. If you're a Christian, can you have a sinus infection? Even though healing is God's heart, right? You still have a sinus infection. It's a mystery, we aren't, you know, but illness can still affect us. Well, so can demons. I don't see how anybody can be hanging around with Christians in a church for more than five years, five months, without really realizing that Christians can have demons. You know? They like to manifest in church. In fact, one of, the, one of the times they manifest the most readily is when the presence of God is strong someplace. You notice that demons are always showing up around Jesus and they don't show up before that in the Bible? Why are they always showing up around Jesus and later in the, in the ministry of Paul the Apostle? Because the presence of God is so strong that the light shines in the darkness and, uh, and there's no darkness left for the cockroaches to hide. Because when the light comes on, we lived, I, I, my wife will get, I'll get in trouble for telling you this story. It had nothing to do with her housekeeping. It had to do with where we lived. But we lived in a, an apartment complex one time that had a cockroach, cockroach infestation. And we were, we were clean and we kept our counters clean and all that. At least Jill did. I didn't always. But every once in a while you'd walk in the kitchen and turn on the light and what would you see? Something moving on the counter. And, and what was, what's that thing doing? It's running for the darkness. That's what demons do when the light shines. But when there's no room for darkness, they fall at Jesus' feet and say, what do you want to do with us, son? We know who you are, the son of God. And all that kind of stuff starts happening. John Wimber used to say, because people would accuse John Wimber because he performed signs and wonders of that that's the devil. And he used to say, the only devils in here are the ones you brought in, people. And then they'd begin to manifest. Fun times. And so people can have demons. If, if you have a besetting sin and you hear these continual voices in your mind that kind of holds you into that sin, that could, be a, that could be a demon. You can actually do self-deliverance. You have authority over that. You can tell it to shut up. You can tell it to leave. And if, and if you want, I'll tell it to leave. Come tell, talk to me about it. And we'll tell it to leave. I've seen it happen. I've seen them leave people. But let me tell you something. The most important thing is not getting rid of the demons. The most important thing is healing the emotional wounds that made space for those demons to get there. Chuck Kraft uh, uses this analogy, uh, and I love it. He talks about rats and garbage. He talks about Manila in the Philippines, and for years Manila had a rat infestation problem. They couldn't get rid of their rats. And they tried extermination, and they tried uh, various methods, 
and they still just had a, a problem in, in Manila with a rat infestation until one bright fellow said, you know, we have another problem besides rats. We do a very poor job disposing of our garbage. And so they took all their resources that they were trying to use to kill the rats, and they put them in, into, into waste disposal. And what happened when they started cleaning up the garbage in Manila? The rats left. They left. Let me tell you something. When you're holding on to bitterness, hatred, anger, when you're believing lies, when you're holding on to unforgiveness, the rats have something to eat. They have something to hold on to. One of the first times I ever did a deliverance was on a little 15-year-old girl who had a horrendous background. She had been molested by her father repeatedly. She had uh, stolen her mother's prescription drugs to, to try to deal with the pain. She had went with her girlfriends in junior high to a seance that got very demonic where she actually, they actually performed a wedding ceremony and she married herself to Satan. Okay, turn to somebody next to you and say, I think she opened some doors. And this girl was just multiply demonized and she's at this youth camp and she's starting to manifest at this youth camp. And it's the first time, and I remember she was manifesting and all these people were shouting and it was very chaotic. And at the time I was 37 years old and I was off, and it's a youth camp. And so I'm off praying and I'm seeing this. I said, God, you need to send a seasoned, experienced person over there to deal with that situation because that's getting out of hand. And you know what happened next, right? It's like the finger, yeah, go. It's like, no, 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 no. I mean somebody who knows what they're doing. It's like, do those kids know what they're doing? No, they don't. Have you read some books? Yeah, I've read some books. Get over there. And so I went and said a prayer, and I went over there. And we began to cast demons out of that little girl. And I'll never forget that night, the voice, the eyes. But I remember, I, I think I would be able to do it quicker now. I'd know more stuff. But, but I remember we, got, we, we made some real progress and I remember the first, the first demon we tried to cast out of her, we wanted to get her to say, in the name of Jesus, I forgive my father. And so I would speak to this little girl, and she could hardly talk in a whisper. The demons would speak loud, but she would just speak in a whisper. And I'd say, okay, I need you to say, in the name of Jesus, I forgive my father. And she would say, so I'd say, repeat after me, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I forgive, I forgive my father. No, don't! If you do, we have to leave! This voice would come out of her. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And finally she did. And they left. Why? The garbage was gone. The rats were easier to deal with. So whenever anybody comes to you and they're speaking in different voices and their eyes are rolled back in their head and they're hissing at you, go, okay. And you, you laugh, but that's, I've seen that stuff. I mean, it's not like a normal thing. Um, it's, not, it's not a regular deal, uh, but, but I've seen it. Whenever that happens, look for the garbage. Don't focus on the rats first. Once you deal with the garbage, you've got to deal with the rats still. But the rats leave much easier when the garbage is dealt with. You don't have to yell at people. They don't have to barf and spit and roll around and howl. I mean, you can do that. It has entertainment value, but it might not be very nice to them. But you can get the rats to leave 
um, when you deal with the garbage. And I think that's big. Physical healing, that's the, that's the type of healing we talk about the most. And you know what physical healing is? It's physical healing. Your back hurt, doesn't hurt anymore. Your knee hurt, doesn't hurt anymore. You had cancer cells in your body, they're gone. You had arthritis, and all of a sudden the joints are normal. Uh, you had migraines, and the migraines are gone. Sometimes the physical healings are connected to emotional wounds and deliverance. If you'll notice, Jesus, when he heals people, sometimes he casts demons out of them, and they get physically healed. All right? But here's the deal. There's no formula here. And I don't trust people who come to me with formulas. People will come to me with formulas and say, you know, I know how to get rid of blah, blah, blah. Because every time somebody has blah, 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 it's related to blah, blah, blah. And it's just not the way it is. What happened is somebody found out twice that this disease was related to this, and they make this huge assumption that every time it's related to that. Sometimes stomach problems are related to anger and unforgiveness. That's true. I've discovered that. Sometimes people with, you know, problems right in here, they're angry. And, and when you deal with the anger and unforgiveness, the stomach problems go. But I've also discovered not all the time. And when you look at the healings of Jesus in the New Testament, and you look at the healings of the apostles in the New Testament, they heal in a variety of ways. So the key to physical healing is listening to the Spirit of God for what's going on and how to pray for it. It's not a method. It's not a formula. And we, we want to go to formulas. Why? Because if we go to a formula, then who's in control? We're in control. And then here's the, here's, the, here's the cruel part of this. What happens when you have an absolute certain formula on how to heal somebody it doesn't work? Then you blame them. Oh, you, have, uh, you, you, you lack faith and there's sin in your life. And so you just did what? You just kicked a person while they're down. And Jesus doesn't do that. You might say, well, Jesus did accuse people of not having enough faith. Yeah, you know the people he accused of not having enough faith? The people who were praying for the sick person, not the sick person. Jesus turns to his disciples and goes, you know, if you guys just had more faith, this could happen. Now, people with formulas don't like to hear that. Because they know they have put their faith in the formula. God has stamped the formula. But find me a formula here. Thank God nobody has come up, and they will soon enough, because twice Jesus used spit to heal. Some televangelist is going to come up with, you know, the five diseases that are always cured by spit. And you're going to have people spitting. And man, you think the heresy hunters are going to have fun with that. They have, you have a problem when people fall. What about when the spitting revival breaks out? I'll tell you what, you, when I preach, you sit on the front row, sooner or later you're going to get some. It's coming. It's coming. So, the key to physical healing is the key to, it's, it's faith in a person. You know, Georgian pounded on your chest. So what does that mean? Heart disease is always cured by chest pounding. No. It's healed by Jesus. It's healed by Jesus. 
and sometimes it's spit, and sometimes it's chest pounding, and sometimes it's casting out a demon, and sometimes it's this, and, it's, and God is just so creative. I've had people come to me and say, I've got this problem, and the Lord said, pray for them seven times. They'll be slain in the Spirit seventh time, and the seventh time they'll be, they'll be well. Really? Why do we have to do that? Why can't we just pray for them once and have them stand here? But no, it's like, okay, the Lord says seven times. In the name of Jesus, boom, pick her up. In the name of Jesus, boom, pick her up. In the name of Jesus, that happened to your sister, Ben Rose. She came one time, and her stomach was problem, giving her problems, something like that, and the Lord said, knock her down seven times, and she'll be better. We knocked her down seven times, and she was better. And so, the key to physical healing is the healer. Again, not the method. Our faith is in him. Now, I do, I do want to be consistent with the Bible. I think it's okay to pray for God to heal somebody. But as I look at Jesus and the apostles, they just kind of they pray before that, and then when they come to the healing part, they just kind of speak it over people. You know what I'm saying? They don't say, God, would you please raise this person from the dead? Peter goes and he prays, and then he says, Tabitha, get up. And when Jesus, Jesus never asked the Father to heal somebody. He simply speaks it and says, you know, be healed, be well, see, whatever. Lazarus, come forth, and it happens. So, but you know what? It's okay. It's not against the rules to say, God, would you please heal this person? James chapter 5 says, if anyone's sick, let them call the elders of the church. The elders come anoint him with oil and pray for the person, and the prayer of faith will raise him up. By the way, if you're not well, take some responsibility. Don't just sit back and say, well, I hope they pray for me. Go get some. Call the elders of the church and have them come and pray for you. Go get some. Don't be, don't be passive. I know, sweetie. I'm going to finish pretty soon, though. I'm going to do all right. Mommy's going too long. So, um, God still heals today. I have seen countless physical healings. I've seen people get out of wheelchairs, uh, the deaf hear, the lame walk. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen the blind see. My son, my son had saw people who were uh, legally blind. They still could see blurs, and all of a sudden it just become clear uh, in front of them. That might have been a miracle of the cataracts, cataracts being removed. Because um, that's certainly what happens when that surgery takes place. And so God heals physically. Do you have cataract surgery? Isn't it awesome? It's the best. Just boom, whole new world. Get your sight back. So, physical healing. And then finally, there's resurrection, the ultimate healing. Only, listen, resurrection's a great deal. And it's, it really glorifies God. But, you know, it's not really that great of a deal for the person who got raised, if you think about it. I've had people say, you know what? Unless you hear a direct word from God, don't pray for my resurrection. Because, you know, think about it. Lazarus, he got raised from the dead. That's amazing. And he walks out of the tomb, and what happens? The Jews want to kill him. He walks out of the tomb into trouble. And I'm assuming, unless he's over 2,000 years old, Lazarus is one of the few people on earth who had to what? 
Die twice. So if, if God's still got purpose for you, then get raised from the dead. But if it's your homecoming, you know, you don't want people going, Lord, bring them back. You're like, shut up. I see Jesus. Stop it. You know, you're like, they're tugging on your leg. You're Lord, raise them up. Stop. I'm going to Jesus. But it's an amazing sign, isn't it? And it's a sign of what? The resurrection that we will all experience. And there will not be, for that resurrection, a second death. Not for us in Christ. There will be no second death. No more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. We will all be raised from the dead. Jesus, Jesus was risen from, rose from the dead, and he didn't die again. Lazarus died again. His resurrection was a sign of the, of the real resurrection that's in Jesus that we now share with him. And there's going to come a day when we'll all be raised from the dead, clothed with immortal spiritual bodies, living forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And dear ones, it will be well. And I'll say it again. The troubles of this world are like a gnat's eyebrow compared to the glory that is, being, that is, that is already breaking in but will be fully revealed in and through us. And that's resurrection. Go to the next slide. All right, I'm going to... I think I'll... Uh, I go back. I just I just want to talk about four views of healing, and then I think we'll we'll do healing more healing and miracles next week. Four views on healing in the church today. One is called cessationism, that spiritual gifts, miraculous gifts, have ceased, and therefore God isn't into healing anymore. That He just did that during the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the apostles to authenticate that ministry. But now we have the Bible, and we don't need that anymore. The problem with that view, the first problem with that view is that the Bible that we now have never says that. The Bible we, we now have never says that God is going to stop doing miracles and healings and signs and wonders. In fact, the Bible that we now have seems to give every indication that that is God's heart. That Jesus came and brought forth a kingdom, and in that kingdom, he's demonstrating the kingdom of heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No sickness in heaven, that kingdom Healing is a part of that kingdom demonstration and manifestation. And our assignment is to bring as much heaven on earth as we can. And so it is a weak biblical argument. The argument for cessationism comes from experience, or better yet, comes from lack of experience. Most people who are cessationists prayed hard for a loved one's healings, and it didn't happen. Therefore, they, ha they, they, they make the leap and say, well, God just doesn't do that anymore, to give them comfort over the fact that their prayers didn't work. And I understand that. I understand trying to find comfort when you're in grief. But there's other comfort to be found than bad theology. There's other comfort to be found than bad theology. I've prayed for people uh, to be healed, and I've buried friends, and I've buried good people. And, but I ain't stopping. Because I've seen some stuff, too. And I'm not going to stop. And there's other ways to comfort people in the midst of that. God has not stopped being God. Then, healing is rare. I just read a book on healing by Tim Stafford, an evangelical pastor, and he experienced his first miracle. He's a Presbyterian in California, and a young boy from his church went up to Bethel in Reading and, and was healed of crippling foot pain. And Stafford says, this is a miracle. This is 
This is an undeniable miracle. I know this family. I know this boy's condition. There's no other way to explain this but a miracle. But Stafford goes on to conclude through his book that miracles still happen and God still works miracles, but they're very rare. And that's view number two. Again, I think that, that is a view based on experience. They are rare in Tim Stafford's life. I get that. And therefore, they must be rare. Third view is that they're not rare at all. They're frequent. They're going on all the time. And uh, that would be the view, I think, as, as, I, as I speak in this room, I, I ask the question, how many of you have ever experienced miracles? I don't mean like, oh, the sunrise was so beautiful, it was a miracle. No, I don't mean that. Or, or the birth of a baby, it was a miracle. No, I don't mean that. I mean the birth of a dead baby got put in its mom's arms and it was alive five seconds later. That kind of thing. And most people in this room raised their hand and said, yeah, I've experienced miracles. I think they're a lot more frequent than Tim Stafford knows. I think he's running with the wrong crowd. Though he talks to the other crowd. I give him credit for that. He interviewed John Wimber. He interviewed Bill Johnson. He's just not entirely convinced. There's another book by the exact same title, Miracles, written by another evangelical author, a Wall Street Journal journalist, Eric McTaxis, called Miracles, and the, whole, the first half of his book is an explanation for why miracles happen, an apology for miracles. Not an apology like I'm sorry for miracles, but an apologetic for miracles. And the second half of the book is just miracle stories, but his miracle stories all come from people he knows firsthand. And his book is filled with stories of people that this guy, this sophisticated New York Wall Street, Wall Street Journal, Ivy League educated person, he just has this whole... Story, story after story of people he knows who experience miracles. And the fourth view is that miracles are guaranteed if the conditions are met. I'll tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you. Theologically, biblically, I'm kind of at view number four. Experientially, I'm up there with two and three. And that creates tension. Right? That creates mystery for me. I think it is God's heart to heal. I think God is both willing and able, which leads me to a problem when it doesn't happen. Well, which was it, God? Were you not willing or not able? Well, maybe there wasn't enough faith. Well, it could be, but we had enough faith for that one. There's mystery here, people. Now, if you, if you land on number one, you can have the comfort of getting rid of all mystery. You just never see God act. If you land on two or three, you can just say, well, it wasn't God's will at this particular time. But if your theology, if your study of the scripture and your understanding of the nature of God leads you to number four, either everybody you pray for is going to get healed or you're going to have to live with some tension. And so pick your, pick your number. I'm on number four, but I live in two and three zone. And therefore, I have tension. And I'm your preacher, and I have no answer for that. And I'm going to conclude with that this morning. How's that for you? You're going to go, nuts. That's like, that's like concluding. That's like the first, uh, the first Lord of the Rings movie. It's like, wait. It's not over. It's not. What, what a foolish thing it would do to, 
preach about healing without asking God to do some, without praying, God, would you come into this room right now in the name of Jesus, and would you manifest physical healing in this room? And I'm not going to ask anybody to lay hands on anybody. We're not going to just go pile on somebody like a pack of dogs on a three-legged cat. We're just going to pray without even the laying on of hands, without any method or form, that his presence would come into this room and people would begin to experience healing in their bodies. I love to lay hands on people, but Lord, no, just you. I know you use us, Lord, but just use your presence right now to heal back pain. To heal back pain in Jesus' name. To heal cancer in Jesus' name. Cataracts gone in Jesus' name. Joint pain. Somebody's got joint pain all over their body. It's not just your knees, it's your knees, your wrists, your fingers. When it's cold, it's worse, but you just have joint pain. And I just feel like the Lord's just pouring warm oil into your body right now. And you're being relieved of joint pain. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Digestive problems, or somebody with digestive problems. And the Lord's healing that digestion. You're not going to have to chew on all those tums. It's going to be better. Stress is lifting off. Stress is lifting off, in Jesus' name. The Bible says, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Man, life is stressful. But you know what? Most of us were worried about stuff three months ago, and we can't even remember today what was stressing us out three months ago. Some of us can. Some of us, it's the same stuff. But for some of us, there was stuff that we were all worked up about three months ago, and it's gone. It's like, whew, it's gone. God took care of that. And now we've picked up another thing to be stressed about. And it'll be gone, too. You know, he heals all your diseases. He forgives all your sins. He renews your life with love and compassion. Or he, he crowns you with love and compassion. And he renews your youth like the eagles. He satisfies you with good things. Thank God right now for three good things he satisfied you with. I'll bet everybody in this room can think of three things they're thankful for. Thank you, Lord. And now just do more. In Jesus' name. Release a greater flow of healing in our lives and through our lives into this community. Let our hands carry healing. Let our words carry healing. Give us, give us the gift of faith for healing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Aging. It's natural. It's normal. But Lord, defy it. When I came to plant a church, I was 48, and I was complaining to God that uh, I was too old. And I turned on the TV, and there was an author on TV, and he authored a book called uh, 50 is the New 30. So I declare it right now. I am 36. I am 36, but I'm not having any more kids. In Jesus' name.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Anybody feel anything in your body as we prayed? You got heat? Good. All right. Anybody want uh, Chris to pray, pray for you? She's got heat in her hands. If you've got a pain in your body, she could lay, that, lay, lay her hands on you. We can start that now. You want, go up, go up to the corner, Chris. It's, is it Michelle? Michelle. Michelle needs prayer. Go up with Pamela. Pamela will go up there with you. Won't you, Pamela? Oh, Chris is, another Chris is going there. So we have two Chris's praying for Michelle. Pamela, good. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. If you'd like more prayer, I'll be under the exit sign. We'll pray for you. As always, if you can help us tear down and put stuff away, there are three rooms. There's this room, there's the Sunday school room in theater number 10, and then there's the nursery, uh, which is the kids' party room in the, back, in the back of the theater there. God bless. God bless.